Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Welcome to Military Network Radio this morning. We hope you're having a fine week, and we give a shout-out to all of those in the flood-damaged areas from Hurricane Joaquin. We understand there's a really big mess, especially down in South Carolina. We have a great show for you today. We have previously talked about transition from the military into jobs, employment, etc. We haven't really discussed with you the benefits and the options available to you when you transition out and go into education. We have with us today Kenneth Bracewell, former Army veteran who has written two exceptional books based on his both successes and his failures, which actually drew him further toward the success curve, and much faster. So he would like to share what he has learned with us, both in his books and in our interview today, because it's very important that you know your benefits, know what is available to you, but more importantly, know how to take and move forward from a point of stasis when you just don't know what to do and things aren't going so well. So I'm joined by Jason McNamara today. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, and Kenneth Bracewell, welcome to Military Network Radio. Thank you, Linda. You're welcome. I was very intrigued when we spoke uh, late last week, and we talked about all that you learned. And, you know, sometimes learning is painful, um, and and as it has been said in a, a wonderful quote by John Maxwell, sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. And it sounds as though this is exactly where you were, Kenneth. We'll start with the fact that your family, talk about the fact that um, you come from a long family of those who've served and, and how you came back in and entered college and what then happened? Well, what happened after I served? Yes, after you served, uh, first of all, your family background is one of every generation served in, I think, each conflict. Is that correct? Yes. Amazing. Uh, We should also mention that Kenneth is up in Anchorage, Alaska, and it's very early there. And we are talking about a, a topic that can be kind of dry. So Kenneth will bring it to life for us. So, Ken, you came through and you... Uh, separated from the Army, and you went to school. Talk about what happened then. Okay. Well, I went to school, and the first in my family to to go to college, period. And I learned by, I failed first. By my first semester, I had a 1.3 GPA, and I was using my post-9-11 GI Bill. Mm-hmm. And... That was the first semester when it really opened my eyes up to, that I could do more and that I needed to do a lot more and for myself and my family and there's no there's no excuse for failing. And I so how did that it. feel at that time? Um, it was very um, uncomfortable and very um, 
just very down. I felt very down because the low grade point average, but I, I slowly, you know, began to focus more and realized how important it was because I, it could have went bad if I wouldn't have. So what were some of the things that you did when you realized, okay, you'd been successful before, you had wanted to serve, you did so well, and then you came back and entered school and suddenly things were not the way they were. What were some of the things that you feel contributed to the 1.3 grade point average at the time? Oh, just the lacking of understanding the college environment. That was a huge factor and just not didn't have a lot of support Mm -hmm. so I I learned it all uh, on my own and I just kind of pushed through uh, and that so in your case failure brought the motivation to turn it around yes it did you know that's an excellent lesson because a lot of people allow a certain failure in life to hold them back forever. So in this case, you took a look at your um, subject matter. Did you change your courses? Did you change the way you studied? How, what did you change personally in that initial time of not doing so well and you knew you had to turn it around? What were some of the deliberate intentional things that you did to turn it around? Um, the main thing was my mindset and mentality. Mm-hmm. It changed differently, and I thought more positive. And okay. Also thought more about my family and what would happen if I if I failed again for a second consecutive semester. Mm-hmm. I thought about that, and I said it's it's not going to happen again. I just said, told myself there it's it won't. There's no way it's going to. I'm not going to have this again. It's the only time that it'll be like this for me. Good for you. So as your family was helping you, Jason, I'm laughing. It sounds a little bit like a Marine mindset, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. hundred <laughs> <laughs> uh, percent. You know, when you, when you decide to turn things around, it's often painful in the beginning. But as you started, did you find that it gave you momentum? Yes, I did. Okay. Good. So as you were going forward and you had this 1.3, you started to change the way you looked at things. That's a big step in the right direction. But you also had to change other things, obviously, to bring it up. Did you deal with the professors? Did you talk to them? How did you get yourself integrated into the college environment to better understand it? No, I didn't talk to professors right away. Um, okay. I, I did some, but I didn't rely on them to to help me because in the end, it's, all, it's up to the individual. Okay. But I mainly just focused, and uh, I realized, you know, I was I was infantry in the army, so I just used my kind of my mentality and my the values, and I applied them into the education world as a mm-hmm. civilian. Mm-hmm. And veteran, and I realized that, you know, I have to get this going. And at the time, there wasn't a a VA chapter of Student Veterans of America in the school yet. They were mm-hmm. they haven't had one when I first started. So it was a very there. The university was 
slowly bringing that in. But, you know, I, I just stayed motivated and that by, just by failing and knowing what it does is what kept me going. You know, it's it's interesting you say that the uh, Student Veterans of America and all of the efforts that are being made at the universities, colleges, trade schools, etc., was not there uh, when you were uh, going through school initially. And I think that that has truly changed how people can find connection. Did you have other veterans that were going to school with you at the time? Yes, I did. I had, there's one classmate in the same program as me, and we motivated we motivated each other to to stay motivated and focused and not fail and uh, to to do well in the thirty six month period and it was it was very nice. It was very at the also, same level. That's great because battle buddies help. So the, you mentioned the thirty six months. That's due to some of the parameters of the post nine eleven GI Bill, is it not? Yes, that's the maximum time if you have the post-9-11 GI Bill. Okay. See, I don't know that all our listeners know about uh, the the rules and regs of the uh, GI Bill. So as you talk, if you could share some of those, because certainly we'll get into the part where you wrote your book to help other people. Um, but I think it does help to share this because some people want to go to school. They don't know if they can make it that quickly. Um, they, they have some trepidation about it. So it's one of those things that uh, the more you can share as you go along, the more it, it helps. So 36 months is the maximum of the GI Bill support financially. Is that correct? And tuition for the post-9-11 GI Bill. That's the okay. maximum one can have. Perfect. I, I'm curious. What did you study? What was your goal to um, complete uh, your education with? Um, my study was human services, uh, mm-hmm. the bachelor's and associates I've received, and the average time frame was 4.3 years to complete. Mm. So it wasn't easy, and that included four internships, two two separate ones for each degree, and each one was, was 250 hours total of field work. Wow. Yes. Okay, so you had you took classes, you turned it around, you had a battle buddy, and I. It sounds as though in the back of your mind, you were also working toward figuring it out. So you were doing an awful lot, and you had a young family at the time, right? Yeah. Yes, I did. Okay, that is both a motivator and also something that makes you very tired. So yeah. as you were working this through, did you work more on your routine? You said you looked at your military background. Was it much more of a mission-oriented when you had to aim towards exams and that kind of thing? Or was it a longer-term aim? It was longer-term for me because I, I just uh, and it was both, really, but, mm-hmm. you know, I realized it was something I, I had to do and at all costs. And and you got support from home, clearly, and from your battle buddy. And so as you went on, you are gathering ideas for your book. We have about a minute left, um, okay. and we'll talk more about this after the break. But were you starting to gather material for your book, or was there no book in your mind at this point? It was still no. something in the future. That was for the future. I didn't even think about the book until a year after I graduated. There we go. That's yeah. what I was thinking is that it wasn't an initial goal of yours because you were 
Is he focusing on what you were doing to get done? That's terrific. Um, Jason, any questions quickly? No, I, mean, I think I have a few, but I want to address them probably when we get back from the break. But uh, yeah, great story so far. Yeah, because I think this is so Thank interesting you. to talk about this educational thing. I know that the environment on campus seems very, very different. So thank you for talking about this. We'll come back after a break. We're talking with Kenneth Bracewell about reintegration into the educational system. You're listening to Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. The Woohoo Radio Network presents the Diva Download with Tracy and Tasha. If you think Diva is all about attitude and drama, think again. The Diva Download is the premier online radio program where girls of all ages, shapes, sizes, and colors get together to redefine what it means to be a diva so that all girls can discover their inner diva and develop a healthy sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Being a true diva means you're diverse, involved, value-driven, and active. That's today's diva. If you want to celebrate the girl in your life through education, encouragement, empowerment, and entertainment, join us every week on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and celebrate the essence of being a girl only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. You're listening to our discussion on transition into education, into college, from service. Uh, Jason, on break, you had a question for Kenneth. Yeah, no, and I think it's, you know, Kenneth, we've been talking about your journey and sort of what motivated you to move to a better place, right? But I think yes. there's one there's one part that I want to talk about a little bit, and that has to do with the feelings that you had that were sort of a little more darker, right? And I think as veterans and as we come out of the military, you know, we have all these pressures around us. You know, one, just transitioning back into the community is tough enough, let alone having to try and rebalance ourselves with maybe pursuing an education, tending to our families, you know, participating in our community, 
Uh, can you share with our listeners a little bit about some of those darker, um, more emotional feelings that led you to feel maybe alienated, isolated, some of those feelings that I think you and I are very familiar with, but maybe not all of our listeners are? Yes, um, very good, Jason. One of the, you know, the other ways I felt um, very, very isolated because also because I was unemployed at the time when I started school. Sure. And that um, that caused me to, to be even more down because it, it took me for six months. Um, I was without any kind of job after I'd, I got out of the Army and I was transitioning, and that was really um, another stressor that uh, was there. Plus, you know, and I'm a service-disabled combat veteran too, so, you know, that... That's something that goes into effect. Sure. Um, and I, I just, uh, you know, it was a big struggle, and you know, it wasn't. None of it was easy at all for me. And, you know, the not being employed wasn't good at the time because I tried real hard to to get employment and wasn't able to. And that was a very huge thing there. How did you get past, and I'm making an assumption here, but I assume that you had the same feelings that I did. How did you get past the feeling of wanting to just go back into the service and like let all of this transition stuff go away and go back to what you knew? Yes, I was I was definitely thinking about it at the yeah. time. Sure. And I really wanted to because I saw that um, it, it, I really missed it, you know, being in. And I would have loved to to be back in. I even, I went to the recruiter station again and tried to get back in. You know, they they said uh, I couldn't go back in, you know, because of the rating, the VA rating sure. that I had. And, and that kind of, that was a little, you know, hearing that kind of was, I felt a little down, but, you know, I thought about it for a long time. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I um, I had that same experience, right? I'm also a combat uh, disabled veteran myself, and um, I went to the recruiter's office as well, right? And you know what's funny is that I think, well, not really funny, but it's ironic that the way that you felt, the way that I felt, the way that our fellow brothers and sisters felt is something that is pretty standard uh, across transitions that we find, mm -hmm. right? It's this feeling of being alienated. It's this feeling of um, these, these complicated stressors that have been added to your life. And we've talked about this in some of our other shows, but you leave a system, and I talk about a system because there's these services that are supporting you in the military, be it through mentorship, be it through healthcare, be it through how you get your food. You know, your basic needs are, are very well met in the military, and you get to serve with people that are like-minded. They're passionate about what they do. They put on their uniform every day with a sense of pride. And, you know, leaving all of that very, very abruptly and then trying to transition back makes you feel alienated and it's tough. And I think there's a lot of our brothers and sisters out there that second guess, you know, if I, yes. if I made the right choice to leave the military. Yes, because. Go, go ahead. Go ahead, sir. Oh, no. Yes, because you see a structure, there's a structured environment, you know, in the military. And then you get out and realize that it's not as structured as the military was, you know. The environment and everything, the daily living, you know? That's right. It's That's different. Right. 
And I think the, you know, even pursuing your education in the military is a lot easier as well because your entire command supports you getting an education. And so they'll let you leave a little earlier to go attend a class on base or go out in town and um, attend a class. Or if you're deployed and you're taking a remote course, then they'll, they'll afford you the time. Um, and then all of a sudden, you're in this environment where, especially with you, you had to find a job, you had to transition back to your family, back into your community, and had to perform well at school. So that, that had to have been uh, a massive undertaking for you. How did you get past the, the point of um, recognizing that, okay, this is what I have to do because I don't have another alternative, right? Like, I have to, I have to be successful here. I can't go back into the military. So I've sort of come to the realization that these are my feelings. And this is what, these are the thoughts that I'm having. I'm second guessing myself. How did you get past that part? Um, I realized at, at the time, one you know, I've about one six months came by. I finally had a a job offer, and it was very good. Um, it was like once in a lifetime thing for me to do at the time, and it was a sacrifice because of what it offered was so great. The, not just financially, but the environment was very well, and it was something I was. My wife helped me with. She was she's very very supportive of me, and she helped me a lot through the whole time, the whole way there. She so, helped me a whole lot. So, were you married in the service then? Yes, I was. Okay. How how did? Uh... Jason, I think we lost you. Hello? We did. Hello? Yeah. Hey, we lost you for a second. Sorry, sorry, I must have lost in the second. Um, how did your wife handle um, that transition with you? Oh, she supported me, and she was the one who um, encouraged me to go to school because I wasn't even going to go and use my post-9-11 bill. You know, and I wasn't even going to, but... You know, her motivation really got me to be encouraged and inspired to to go through it and start. Did you think that uh, it became more complicated with your relationship because of that transition with all those stressors that we talked about? It, it was, yes. It did. What, what do you think contributed to that? To the stressors or to the... To being complicated. To being complicated. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, just because of the, there's a lot of pressure, you know. Yeah. Because I didn't, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, right away, and that kind of, uh, you know, affected me because I didn't, I knew it was 36 months, and I didn't want to. I wanted to get into, make sure I get into something that I would be able to to finish and I didn't even know that I that I would finish it from the beginning because sure, sure. I started off very slow you know and that was something that was but Jason you came back and went to school too didn't you I did yep I did and so you're you're speaking from a, a point of familiarity as well um, your family structure probably did the same thing then so it can be helpful it can be a stressor in addition it it's different for everyone wouldn't you say 
that was my experience. Uh, I'm sure Kenneth can probably contribute to that as well. But um, you know, it, it's there are these other pressures that exist that surface only when you transition, right? Like the idea that Kenneth talked about about trying to find a job and provide for his wife and for his family. Um, that's a very real feeling. But in the military, it's sort of understood that you have um, those basic needs are met, right? And so I think that's the difficult part, that all those needs that were met are now gone, right? And so how do you fulfill that on your own journey is, becomes the, the challenge. Now, I have a question for both of you then. Supposedly, in the TAPS program before you transition out, these items are discussed are they discussed in a way that is real life practical or is it a theoretical transition course for you before you leave the service? That's a good question. My my opinion on it and what I've from my experience, there was a civilian contractor. Mm-hmm. They were reading off of it, um, theoretically. Um mm-hmm. and no personal experience on the the post 9/11 GI Bill and what mm-hmm. it was about, just reading from the documented writings, but no, like no other kind of piece, like just trying to go through it as fast as possible, mm. and not enough time to really cover everything. And there really isn't enough time, and there were a lot of packets and paperwork at the time they were given. But it wasn't enough, in my opinion, to to really get an understanding of it as much as there could have been. And I also think that the um, the transition is um, falsely set, and I know I don't know how else to describe it. So you know, you go through your military training, you're taught through your military training that this provides you a lot of value on the outside, and as you work through that you build a certain amount of confidence. And as you're in the military, you build your pride and, and you become more responsible. And now you have, even at a young age, you're commanding a number of troops. Um, you have a lot of responsibility that you may not have had. When you transition out of the military, you become part of the general population again, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do you di- differentiate yourself between, say, somebody coming out of college that maybe has a degree focused in that area that you're working on, but you don't have that degree. Um, you know, there are some businesses that are veteran friendly and we are getting better at that, but there's this sense of like, Oh, it'll be okay. When you transition, people want to hire military members and you're valuable. But what you find is that you get rejected a lot and you just don't meet all the qualifications that others that have been in the workforce, um, have experienced. You know, you bring up a really good point because I know that they're always talking about changing the transition training and and look at things before you get out six months ahead of time. But it sounds to me from the outside listening in that if you had somebody who could talk to people just like the two of you are talking, the reality would be better understood. So we'll talk more about this after the break. You're listening to Military Network Radio and we will be back after this brief commercial. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Have you heard? 
The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff. And find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. wonder where common food items found on most restaurant menus got their names? Bob Cobb, owner of Hollywood's Brown Derby Restaurant, created the Cobb Salad one night in 1937 when he threw ingredients together to make a salad which included eggs. A cobber is a word for a friend, so dine on a Cobb Salad with your cobber. The Caesar Salad is attributed to Caesar Cardini, a restauranter in Tijuana, Mexico, who created the unusual mix of greens and anchovies when he was running low on ingredients for salad, and had to use what was left in his refrigerator. Reuben Kalakowski of Omaha, Nebraska, created the sandwich we now call the Reuben. He first concocted it to feed some late-night poker players at a local hotel. What's the word for personal names that are now dictionary words? Eponyms. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We were just talking on break about how valuable it is for one veteran to talk to another veteran. Um, obviously, Jason and Kenneth can speak to this from a position of total experience. And it is not an easy transition to have suddenly everything in your life change. It's Most people have one or two parameters change at a time. They relocate um, or, or things change within the family, but they don't have all of it happen at the exact same time. So I think one of the takeaways from this program is to find other veterans who have transitioned into doing what you're doing or transitioned altogether to get some help. And that, Jason, is what you do with squad leaders too, correct? That's right. That's right. So we, we just try to align veterans together and um, with the hopes of being able to help with the transition. And we provide some training uh, to those veterans to make sure that they do successfully transition. Well, and I think that's invaluable. Peer support, peer helping peer, um, no matter the service branch, it really does help to know that someone has been where you are now walking. All right, Kenneth, let's talk about um, briefly the internships that you had to hold while taking classes um, to to obtain your two agree- degrees and also how they provided you with help as you went forward. Yes. Okay, thank you, Linda. Yes, I, I was required to do four total for my degree, mm-hmm. two for the associates and two for the bachelors. Each individual, some internship required 125 field work hours, mm-hmm. and I was required to do it at the same place um, for the that I did the first one at for the second one. 
So I did two agencies um, total, um, two at each um, mm-hmm. semester. And um, so I did, the first one was a nonprofit. I'm helping um, older adults, 55 and older. It was called Older Persons Action Group. Mm-hmm. That gave me a lot of skills of just helping people and working, you know, having um, good people skills. Mm-hmm. And being able to to help others with services and programs, uh, senior citizens a lot, and I managed to I just assisted the executive director primarily, and it was it was very very good learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot, and it helped me. But I was able to also add it on my resume and have a good professional relationship with the executive director. Mm-hmm. He wrote me a letter of recommendation, and he was also an, an instructor, an adjunct instructor. Mm-hmm. And that was for my first one. And I also organized a, an event at the library that was a whole worldwide um, Anchorage event called the Folk Festival. Mm-hmm. And I I'd collected all the the funds at the end, and it was a good um opportunity and also went on base for a military retirement appreciation day mm-hmm. and the magazine and the newspaper for the agency I collected and had some new subscribers it was nice to do that and my my second internship that I did for my bachelor's that was with the state of Alaska Department of Labor mm-hmm. and Workforce Development at the job center and my my field instructor was a retired army army air sorry air force Mm -hmm. he was a fighter pilot and he was very very professional and he taught me a lot of interviewing resume and cover letter skills he'd always um, call me to the side and talk with me for about 15 minutes and just share some expertise of his and it was very helpful, and I also got to help with the Voc Rehab program a little, mm-hmm. just by directing veterans who came in about it and just seeing how it, the process is done. I kind of just watched it like that, and, you know, I got to have those two experiences, and I, I decided to, to have those. Like, there's a, an internship coordinator at the university in the department I was in, mm-hmm. she could have placed me anywhere if I wouldn't have told her that's where I wanted. But I told her, you know, I let her know right away that I would like to do mine here because that's my goal. And I, I self-contacted um, everyone to let them know that ahead of time that that's what I wanted to do. And you have to really do it in advance to get the internship you want. You can't wait a month or two before you have, like mine, I did six months before, and I scheduled and had an interview, and they approved me right away. You know, what you're talking about is so important is the planning. And I think going back to Jason's point earlier, that so much is directed in the streamlines that are dependent upon you. It's not, you're not given a reminder to do these things. But I'm very intrigued that you went into both of your internships had connection with the service and you had with the fighter pilot you ended up with someone a service peer who looked out and and helped you and mentored you 
and yes. you've gained more experience in the second uh, internship, both of which were leading you toward your goals. So you were very mission-oriented as you went toward your longer-term goal, just as you said in the beginning. Oh, yes, and also I wanted to include, it was really unique because every male employee at the job center, they were also veterans too, like the staff. Mm-hmm. Like the veterans rep was a Vietnam veteran. He's retired now, but he mm-hmm. was a chief warrant officer, five, mm-hmm. and he retired. And there's a Desert Storm veteran from the Marines, mm-hmm. and there's another Army veteran also there. And they, it was real neat because all the you know, state employees from the job center were also veterans, and it was very nice. Interesting, because that that really does help all the way along. So let's move into your first of two books, The Student Veteran's Guide to Success in College. How did that one start, and what did you put in it? That one started a year after I graduated with my Mm -hmm. bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. I was thinking to myself one night, very late, um, what's out there to for um, student veterans who can be motivated. Mm-hmm. And I've thought about what I did in the 36-month period, and I said, that's, I think that's a story worth sharing, and I'm going to write about it and share my experience to help others because I don't, I really haven't seen one that does that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, really, I just wanted to, I started writing it and I included my experiences and the methods I some of the methods I used and the failures and successes and the learning experience and also included my before the military a little and then during and then but the main of it is focused on after and the college piece that was real important for me mm-hmm. and I, was, I knew how it would help others and how was your book received it was received well, very positive. I'd say it's about 90% positive, 10% negative overall. And Terrific. Do you wish you'd added things looking back on it now? Very, not not a whole lot because I'm, I looked a lot at each thing and I was able to add it on the other one. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I was really... I was pleased with the results. You know, it's it's. I, I'm I'm finding it interesting because as an advocate, you're advocating for others by writing, and you're educating as well. So it's both. Did you find that you were now advocating or mentoring other students as perhaps they went through the process, or that you met somebody casually and recognized that they were in the college environment? Yes, I did. And was that as rewarding to them, do you believe, as it was to you? Yes, it was. I know know it was. Tell me how. Oh, I just, because I received um, individual messages from student veterans and and other veterans who were in school Mm -hmm. or going, interested in going and from LinkedIn and, you know, social media, I received a lot of support there. It was nice. Jason, as you work in squad leaders with uh, people 
transitioning out. Sure. The men and women that you're dealing with, uh, are you seeing that they would have need of this resource? Uh, are, is it really becoming so much easier to transition out now with Student Veterans of America, etc.? Or is there still really a need for a roadmap, if you will, to get through some of these things and some affirmation of how they're feeling? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some interesting parts there, right? And you have to sort of layer those and answer them differently. But, um, you know, I think our goal should always be to successfully transition our veterans in a way that allows them to continue to contribute to their society, right? I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that's, you know, at least at squad leaders, that's what we're trying to do. Right. Um, And, you know, we feel like in talking with some of these other organizations, like the ones you mentioned, um, you know, their mission is still focused on that as well. <clears throat> and it's a, a mission that we all focus on because, frankly, the programs that were in place from the government's perspective haven't haven't been able to f- fulfill sort of like that last mile of plumbing, mm-hmm. if you will. And so, you know, I think has it become easier? Well, I think there's parts of it that have become easier. So information availability, for example, right? I mean, in the digital age, that gives us the ability to query the VA website that allows us to look at programs at our local schools or our communities at the, the turn of our fingertips. Navigating through those resources can still be tricky. And, you know, I think when, you know, we're very easily turning a blind eye if we say, well, there's a lot more information out there now. Um, there's a lot more people that support veterans. There's a lot more community involvement now. Um, but the reality still to this day is that 88% of all veterans that attend their first year of college drop out mm. after they leave the military, right? That's a huge number. And that number hasn't gone down a lot. That number is still very strong for the same reasons that we're talking with Kenneth today. And so when we think about transitions and we think about, you know, are we, are we doing the right things? I think we're in the right place because we're talking about it. And I think when you talk about it and you're surfacing the problems and you're confronting the reality, we can only come up with solutions, right? And so I think we're yeah. still several years out from having what I would consider a smooth process to transition our, our men and women that have served. Um, but I think where we are right now is so important because we're talking about it. We're talking with folks like Kenneth. We're having these critical conversations, stories surface in the media about veterans that are living out of their cars and living on their um, their disability from the veterans. Perfect. And we'll take a break. And we'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Our bodies need sodium, so salt itself isn't bad. According to Harvard Medical School, it's the amount of salt we eat that's concerning. Nine out of ten of us eat too much salt, and the CDC says that most of it is not coming from the salt shaker. The U.S. guidelines recommend that most people get less than 2,300 milligrams of salt a day, but that the average American eats about 3,300 milligrams of salt daily. Those over the age of 51 should eat even less, keeping their intake to 1,500 milligrams a day. Shockingly, that's just over one half of a teaspoon of salt. Cutting back on salt can lower blood pressure and reduce the risk of stroke and heart disease. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond, keeping you healthy, happy, and fit. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're now going to shift to talk about the benefits that are available through the VOC Rehab Program, in addition to the post-9-11 education bill. And Jason, I believe you had a question or a first question for Kenneth. Yeah, you know, I, um, you know, having received benefits um, from the Garment GI Bill, Kenneth, I sort of went through the same journey that I think um, a lot of our brothers and sisters go through, and that, that is that the Montgomery GI Bill helped to a point, right? Uh, but yes. it doesn't, necessar- doesn't necessarily get you all the way through. And especially if you're having to support a family and if you're having to you know, support some of these other transitions that are happening, it becomes very challenging to use the GI Bill um, and maximize the total benefits. Yes. Um, the one thing that I do want to talk about for a little bit is the vocational side of things, because I think there's myself included during the transition. Um, you know, I I don't think that there's a lot of emphasis focused on the vocational side of things. Okay. And it's an important part to talk about, because a lot of skills that we learn in the military can easily move you into a place where you can have rapid employment on the vocational side of things. So can you talk a little bit about how you discovered what those benefits were and, uh, and what kind of journey personally you experienced? Yes, I can. Thank you, Jason. Um, I was able to experience the vocational rehabilitation and employment after I earned my bachelor's. And I, I knew about it ahead of time, but I talked with the VA counselor and you know, they they said you can't you can only use one at a time benefit. You can just apply for now, and we'll do the one-on-one meeting and to see if you're eligible. And to be eligible for the voc rehab, uh, a veteran must be have have at least a 10% VA service uh, disability rating, and they must apply on the VA website. And that is used for, there's so many things that Voc Rehab offers. They offer training for skills, um, also education. They, they help with um, doing a business. If you, they, they help you with information on how to, to have training on starting a business. There's all types of things, and they, they work job placement. They do so much, and... If you're in education with it, they, it's a 48-month maximum that they allow unless, unless worked on 
with your counselor, so if something happens like an emergency while you're in, then it would be it could be a little more than 48 months, depending on your folk rehab counselor. And you know, not all veterans are eligible for folk rehab, but ones who are can really have some good use into it. It's very beneficial. So what what are some of those benefits that um, some of our brothers and sisters could tap into? I mean, I, I don't know much about the program myself and learned about it after, and so I didn't have the ability to participate. I think with your book, the second edition, focusing on that service, um, yes. can you talk a little bit more about what are some of the benefits of going through that way versus, um, you know, entering a... Uh, as a journeyman or something of that sort, or trying to earn an apprentice and trying to, to work your way up through um, a local community-driven effort? Like yes, I can. Okay. Yes, thank you, Jess. Yes, Voc Rehab, what I learned about it was it's overall designed to, to make you have a better life and maintain employment and find something that works for you and so you can live your, you know, the dream and the goal that you have for your life and your family. For, for employment and you know that can be there's trade skills a certification programs and then there's the education piece you it doesn't have to be a bachelor's if someone already has a bachelor's you could earn a master's and go for that if if you're eligible and if your VA counselor you have to it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting and you know, it's different for every veteran. Like, what works for one veteran won't, might not work for the other because it's individual goals. Once you meet with the voc rehab counselor, you bring everything in. They send you a letter, and that's after you apply. They send you that individual letter. They ask you to bring your VA rating and other things. And when you bring that in, they, they look at it and they see if you're eligible and you meet all requirements. And if you do, you go through an orientation process and you sit down and you choose all your skills and your goals and your abilities and you can match them into your overall, it's into three to four categories of what best fits you. And it's really designed for, it's an individualized plan and then they'll start They'll write a plan for you and create an individualized plan based based for you, the veteran. And then and then you would execute against that plan, right? So they, they would provide you with some resources and support um, against that plan. Is that how that works then? Yes, it does. And you know, it could one would be for university, like they'd give you the time frame, like let's say a master's, um, let's say three years or three and a half years to complete. They'll give you that, and if you don't finish it in that time, you just talk to them and let them know that you need a little more time or that you didn't finish in time. And that'd be the 48-month maximum, you could tell them. Or if you have an emergency and you have to drop or take a break, they, they also work with you on that. It's different than the post very different than the post-911 GI Bill. Sure. And then for, let's say that I was a veteran and I wasn't actually interested in going to school because I had services or I had um, skills that I thought were 
um, able to move into a position or move into some sort of um, skilled labor force, if you will. Uh, yes. What, what does that look like for folks like that? Oh, that would there, there would be a school. They they would usually have a trade. They have trade schools that you can attend, and certification programs they can get you into. That'll find job placement afterwards, and they'll work with you on the individual a goal that you have. They can get you and take care of you that way. In uh, in your experience, um, how are they at sort of guiding the veteran? down the right path. I'm, I'm looking for the right words here, but basically, you know, I got out and I was a, I was a JTAC, so I was a terminal error controller, but, you know, and I thought that with my communications and computer experience, I would be able to do these things, right? Well, um, how do they navigate the veteran through the reality of what those skills actually look like, right? Because what I think might be my, my value might not actually be applicable in the community anymore. And so how do they navigate the veteran through that? Oh, they'll they'll print off. They'll show you documented, um, like up to date information on um, the skill that you have, and the you know the vocational piece. They're very good at that. They they're very well trained, and they have all the pieces there for you to to look into and understand. But it helps very much with that. And then. Um there's also some other sort of ancillary services under this program, right, where they can actually help some spouses and family members. Is that right? Yes, there is. Um, to a certain point, there is. Right. It depends on your rating. Like, like an eligible spouse, I believe, has to be 100%. Okay. The, the veteran has to be 100% okay. rated. Sure, and that makes sense. It works, yes. So, and it's really, you know, it works differently, you know, based on that, you know. And then, uh, so how, how did you get to a place where you thought um, the second, the, your second book would, would benefit those and help educate that? I mean, was it your, through your own journey through this program or just working with the counselors and exchanging with the support system? Or how did you come about with the second book? Uh, it was both, um, you know, with the counselors and being able to utilize both the 9-11 GI Bill and my voc rehab, vocational rehabilitation and employment. Right. I was able to, you know, both of those and using the experience, turning it into a guide, like a resource guide. That was very sure. helpful for me. Do you, do you get a lot of comments about uh, about the second version of the book? Because I imagine it's a service that not many many folks know about. And you probably opened the door for a lot of opportunity, I would imagine. Yes. I've had universities contact me to, to order. Sure. Because they, like, they wanted to give it away to student veterans in their university. Sure. Um, and that was very helpful because they saw, they saw a need for it. Yep. And it's a positive experience. So may I step in for a second? Yeah, if please, we look please. at the two books, you've got your first one, The Student's Veteran Success in College, which talks more about the transition from service 
and, and how to succeed in a college environment that's very different than what you're used to in the military environment. Yes, a veteran's okay. road to college success. Right. The veteran's road yeah. to college success, both are listed on the uh, network, uh, militarynetworkradio.com's website. And you can just click and it'll take you right to Amazon. The second one you wrote and that really did emphasize all of the wonderful benefits that are available through the Vogue Rehab Program. Because Jason's right. We both work with lots and lots of families and veterans, and they don't know about the benefits offered to Vogue Rehab. And again, that's through VA if you qualify. Um, but I think the way you've laid out the book is it does really explain the various benefits that are available. So how does someone get in touch with you if they would like to know about how you did it or to get some guidance from you? What's the best way to reach you? Oh, the best way is on my website. Um, okay, Kenneth, and what is that? KennethBFederan.com. It has all my contact information okay. on there. And, and on LinkedIn as well, I imagine. Yes, LinkedIn also. And those are the best two ways. Okay. And do you have thoughts in your mind for a third book? <laughs> yes, I do. I sure do. And All right, I'm dying to know. What's the topic? Oh, um, like right now, I, I can't say too much about it. Okay, fair enough. I'm, I'm in the middle of it, and, you know, it's very... Um, you know, I have I have different um, things on it. You know, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm about a quarter of a way into it, but it's Good it's for going you. to be. Thank you. It's going to be the biggest one so far. Good. I I have really valued from listening to both Jason and you, Kenneth, on this program, because you've got the nuances of the transitional part and what is the most successful thing to do. So I'm grateful to you all. And thank you so much for listening to Military Network Radio. And go to the website for more information, militarynetworkradio.com. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com. And in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 